All right, hey guys, we're going to uh, jump right into Romans, and so if you have your book, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11. Hear me, if you don't have a Bible, and you didn't bring a Bible, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand, uh, keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you. If you forgot your Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Hey, you guys are going to get a chance to hear from Dave uh, Gothney preaching here in a few weeks before we actually uh, send them out to Tucson. And a note on that, too, when you think about a church plant, realize, um, don't think about a church service where you go there and then the service is already happening. They're still doing the work and have been doing the work for the past year and meeting and evangelizing and getting people to hear and know Jesus. And I think there's about um, 30, 40 people that are part of their core gathering right now. And so um, if you were going down to Tucson, don't Google Redemption Church. Where are they meeting at? Um, If you do, you'll just probably call Dave and end up at his house, which is totally fine. You can help him with his backyard. It'd be great. All right. Romans chapter 11. Um, here's what we're going to do today. Romans chapter 11, if you've, if you've studied Romans, if you've read through Romans, if you've taken a class on Romans, to some people, usually becomes this very confusing chapter. To be honest with you, for me, Romans chapter 11 was very confusing. I don't know why. After I studied it over the past two years, and, and especially over the past two weeks, I realized, I don't know how this was confusing to me, um, but it's, it's a beautiful picture of what God is doing with Israel and how we, those of us in this room who are Gentiles, are a part of it. Now, if you're just kind of new or you don't really know the language of what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anyone who's not an ethnic Jewish person. So that's the majority of us pork-eating Gentile people, right? That's kind of who we are. And so you have this picture in Romans chapter 11, which we're going to try to tackle this entire chapter, say the last three verses, um, in just a short time, but it will be... um, We'll get through it. <laughs> it's the story of God, primarily portrayed through the life of Israel, which we get to be a part of. And so what Paul is doing in this is he's answering the question of, did God renege on his promises when it comes to the Israelites? Because God had some staggering promises towards Israelites. And so if you can recall, Romans chapter 8 ended with a very staggering promise towards all people. And that is everyone who has trusted in Jesus It says that nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Nothing. That's a promise. Now, if you were a Jewish person in this moment, you would have heard that and said, wait a minute, that sounds great, but there was another promise that God had that it seems like he's kind of stopped on. Meaning, he had this promise through this man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he was going to bless the Israelites. What they failed to realize is it wasn't just the Israelites, but it was the nations as well, which we'll talk about here and so Paul spent Romans chapter 9 saying, hey, God's word didn't, didn't fall. God did some things upstream. God is sovereign. He's good in this. In Romans chapter 10, he goes, it was the responsibility of the Israelites to respond to Jesus, and many of them didn't respond. Romans chapter 11, Paul goes, but God's not done yet. And God never quits on his people. And so what God promises, he's going to come through in that promise. And you know what? That's good for us to hear because we live in a particular world where, you know what? People make us promises and we know not to trust them. Some of the closest people in our life, our family members, our spouses, have made promises that we know that they cannot keep or they have not kept. Or we look at our own lives and we know that we have have had well intentions to do things that we said we were going to do and we have not come through on them. God is not like us and we are not like God. So here's my hope for us today. I hope you would see, those of you in this room who are not yet, or who are Christians but are not Jews, that you would see that you are part of a bigger story. We said this last week. The gospel does not begin in Matthew. The gospel begins in Genesis. The gospel always begins with God and his grace towards us. And that Genesis to Revelation is a long unfolding plan of God's redemption. 
and how he is saving his people and ultimately his creation through grace. And primarily what Paul is, is um, zeroing in on this morning for us in Romans chapter 11 is, what is he going to do with that promise to Israel? How will Israel be saved? And so he asks a series of questions, and we'll begin in Romans chapter 11. First question he asks, Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people from whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Here's what Paul says first. Um, in answering the question, okay, is God done, right? Romans chapter 10, it says they reject it, they reject it, they reject it. And he says, is God done with them? Did God turn his back on Israelite? Paul goes, by no means. By no means. That's another way for saying heck no in Greek, right? He says, by no means, right? No means. And then he gives a couple of examples. The first example he gives is himself. He goes, I'm an ethnic Jewish person. Like, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. My history and my blood, it runs deep. Like, I'm 100% Hebrew. And he says, I'm in it, and I trust in Jesus. And then he reaches deep into their history, and he pulls out the prophet um, Elijah. And it's important for us to read our Bible so that we know these stories, that we're a part of this big story of grace. And it is a story of grace. But to know Elijah in this story, and and this story, the setting is um, um, Elijah is being chased wanted to be killed primarily at the instructions of this very, very mean woman named Jezebel, okay? Um, here's a couple reasons to read your Bible. One, to know the God of the Bible. Two, so you know what not to name your children. <laughs> like, if you ever meet, like, a little Jezebel, you go, ooh, <laughs> you didn't read that story, right? So what's your son's name? Judas, ooh, <laughs> you didn't read the Bible, Right? That's a secondary reason, helpful, right? And so Jezebel was this woman who was after Elijah, wanted to kill him. And then so Elijah is in the mountain, and he's saying, God, I'm the only believer left, and they're trying to kill me. There's always um, a group of Christians who think they're the only believers, right? And Elijah's going, I'm the only one. And God goes, no, you're not. Stop it. She might kill you, but you're not the only one, right? He goes, I got 7,000 in whom I've chosen, a remnant, which means survivors, meaning, he goes, I have chosen, meaning my grace has set aside that have not bowed the knee to Baal, meaning they're not worshiping other gods. They're legit, and they're not legit because of what they were able to do in the same way that Elijah, in the same way that Paul, in the same way that you and I are not legit or reconciled or saved because of what we can do. He says, it's been by grace. I mean, in this story from Genesis to Revelation, the story of Israel that we see now working through the New Testament in the life of Christ through the people of God, now called the church, has always been a story of grace. And he says, if it were by work, works, it would be no grace. And so Paul's first answer is no. God's not done. God doesn't give up on his people because God has extended grace to his people and he doesn't renege on his promises. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. Paul asks another question that maybe somebody who was a Jewish person would ask. In verse 7, he says, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? 
The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare, a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And you're going, oh, that grace sounds so good. And now he's like, darken their eyes. May their backs be bent over in retribution. It's like something happened. <laughs> wrong street, wrong turn. No, no, no. But let's understand what Paul's saying. And Paul says, what then? Did they strive for something? Did they try to obtain something that he didn't? And Paul says, the elect did. Now, often when we think of elect, um, we think individually. And we think towards privilege, which the Bible does speak to that. In fact, most of Romans 9 was towards individual and privilege. But when you think of the Old Testament and God chose, the word chose is what's used in the Old Testament. It's the same word in the New Testament as election. When God chose the Israelites, it wasn't only for privilege, but it was for responsibility. Realize this too. In the New Testament, as God chooses his people, it's for responsibility as well. There's continuity there. And responsibility meant God says, I'm going to choose you. Let's go back into the history. He's going to choose the people primarily through Abraham and his family, because I'm going to choose you, and you are going to be witnesses. What did he tell Abraham? He goes, I'm going to bless you, and in blessing you, all the nations will come to know. The word nations is where we get the word ethnicities, meaning God always had in mind Gentiles. He always had in mind Israelites, because in his mind, he was always going to extend grace to sinners that would know him. So Paul's saying, the elect, those who were chosen for purpose, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Amos chapter 3, primarily in verse 2, says, You of all families have I chosen, meaning you of all nations have I chosen, therefore I must punish you. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. And Paul's saying, there were a people, there were a group of people who did pursue it. Those faithful Jewish people that trusted in God's promises. But he says, but for the bulk, they wanted it, but didn't get it. It's like, can somebody want something and not get it? Can you pursue God and not get him? Yes. Like Paul said this also in 9 and 10. He goes, I swear to them, because I promise by them, I, 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 pro- I vow to you that they, speaking of ethnic Jewish people, his kinsmen, he says they have a zeal for God. I mean, they got a passion for God. They know how to worship God. They know how to sing to God. They know the Bible. They win all the sword drills. They know it all, right? Because they know everything, but, but, but not according to knowledge. Meaning they wanted to pursue God on their own terms. It, it'd be like this. It'd be like when I was going to pursue my wife and date my wife before she was my wife, um, that if I went up to her and said, hey, I want to pursue you, girl. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been around, and I see you looking at me, and I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking, where be, right? If I'm pursuing her, right, and I say, I want to be with you, ah, I, you know, I, I start singing songs to her, I want to be your man, <laughs> right? Zap and Roger, 87. Some of you are like, wasn't born yet. <laughs> Like, if I pursue her and she goes, okay, you can, you, you can have me, right? And then I say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dye your hair brown. Um, I want you to um, somehow make your eyes brown, grow three inches, and speak Spanish, right? She'd be like, wait, hey, that's not me, right? She, she would respond like this, uh-uh, right? <laughs> My wife doesn't talk like that. <laughs> she would have said, no. <laughs> like, right? Because, no, 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 you're going to have me on, on the terms of who I am. When it comes to God, God says, here's the terms. I will do everything uh, that, that, 
takes the barrier down, meaning I will forgive you of your sins. I will become your people. I will put the law into your heart. I will extend unmerited favor called grace to you. The only terms of this relationship to be accepted, to be um, a covenant, to be, uh, to be uh, entered into is by faith, through grace. And what Paul is saying is they didn't want that. They didn't want it by grace. Here, and, and what happened is God says, okay, you don't want it? You're not going to get it. So you can have a spirit of stupor. Your eyes can be darkened. And you see verse 9, it says retribution. So we don't like that word. Here's the reality of it. That word is basically God's judicial law and the way he judicially judges. If any of us did a crime in our particular culture, there, there's, there's a punishment that's going to be given to us that is direct consequence of what we did. And God is saying this hardening is a passive hardening, same way it was with Pharaoh when we talked about that in Romans chapter 9. It is, it is a response to the hard, hard hearts of men and women. And so the most prideful thing that you could do is reject grace. For God to say, you can have me as I am. I will accept you as you are by the basis of grace. You have faith in that and you will write. And you to go, no, thank you. I'll do it another way. That, that shows a level of pride and of self-centeredness that God's response to that is going, okay, you'll get what you want. Um, so one hand, it's natural for those of us in this room and those in the world who reject God's grace. It's natural to have a hard heart. On the other hand, you see God's hand in it. And, and that's what's happening here. And so, okay, well, um, so there's grace, and yet there's some who have rejected it. Okay, so is God still going to turn his back on his people? And that's where Paul begins to ask another question, verse 11. He says, I ask then, did they stumble in order that they might fall? What he's saying is, so when God gave them that darkened eyes, is it like Pharaoh where they're never going to turn to God? And then Paul says again, by no means. Heck no. It's not going to happen. He says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, just in case you want to know what he's talking about. I'm talking to you who are non-ethnic Jewish people. Inasmuch as you are, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and to save some of them. For if their rejection thus saves some, save some of them, for if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so here's what's happening here. Paul says, so is God done with him? He goes, not at all. Not at all. And then Paul begins to show us this story that we're a part of. He begins to unpack this full story that we're a part of. Um, in fact, let me, some of you guys grew up going to church, and you grew up going to Awana, or you grew up going to Vacation Bible School, or you grew up going to something that was basically the same thing, but they tried to be cute, and they called it something else, right? It was Bible School. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, Vacation Bible School. And then you sing a song that some of you know, Father Abraham and many sons had, and I am one of them, and so are you, me too, right? You know that. Like, you, you, you knew that song, right? And none of you, none of you ask your 15-year-old Bible school Awana teacher, nobody once asked, how am I a part of Abraham's family? Because the last I checked, everybody in that family is Jewish and I'm black. Like, how, 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 
how did that happen, right? Because I could do this, right? I can mar- or, or, or maybe you had a little rhythm and you did a little, you know, you put a little something to it. Most of you are pork-eating Gentiles, right? You're not Jewish people. But we never asked that question. We never got there. Okay, so I'm going to try to do today what your vacation Bible school teacher should be shot for, that they did not teach you of how, you, how you, you're included in this. So Paul, guys, that was a joke, right? Um, we all marched in the army. We had no idea. We were just singing a song. How are we a part of this tree? How are we a part of this story? How do we get included in? Well, here's what Paul is saying. First, we talked about this before. God works upstream. That is God's promises. That is God's sovereignty. That is God's actions. That he does not talk to us and say, what do you guys think about this? He does that. And yet, we talked about downstream, that there's a responsibility in which we need to respond to things. Also, downstream is usually when God prophesies or speaks about something that he begins to play it out in real time. Well, if you go back, especially to the Old Testament, there was uh, stories in the Old Testament and prophecies in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah chapter 19, 20 through 25. There's this picture here where God begins to talk about a day when there's going to be a highway or a freeway of some sort that connects the Egyptians, so Egypt, to Assyria, and then also Jerusalem. And he says, that day I will be their God, they will be my people, I'm going to bless them all. And we look at that and go, I don't even know what that means. That sounds great. That's cool. Sounds like the one-on-one loop. It's cool. I get it. All right? And it's, no, no, no. If you were, if you were an ethnic Jewish person and you understood your history, which is our history and our story, you would have been offended by that. You know why? Man, the Egyptians? Like, they oppressed us for years. The Assyrians? They oppressed us for years. And you're saying we're all going to be just one big family? Like, watch what I'm about to do. And he'd made that promise, and what Paul is saying is, this is how it's being played out in real time. That God was using actively in his sovereignty the rejection of the Jews of the gospel for a season, hardening them, in order that this gospel would come to people like you and me. And when you look about it, look the way it played out in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is essentially just the recordings of the spirit at work in starting churches through the apostles. And so what would happen is they would take the gospel to a synagogue, 100% Jewish people. And they would say, here's who Jesus is. And a very, very few would believe in Jesus. The rest would say, get out of here. We want to kill you. And I don't want to kill. So then they go to the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles, who didn't know this story that they were part of, who didn't understand Father Abraham, who had not marched in anybody's army yet, right? So that, that happened. They believed. And upon believing in Christ, they were grafted in. That's how you become a part of Father Abraham. Because you get, a, you get to be a part of this promise that God had started. And Paul says, that's what God was doing, and so that many Gentiles would come to know God. And he says, now, here's what I'm hoping, that now, in the inclusion of the Gentiles, as they trust in God, and they live in grace, and they understand what it means to be followers of God, that now, the unbelieving Israel would look and go, how do they know our God better than us? How do they... How do they get to pray to God and have this intimacy with God? I've never had intimacy with God. I've been trying to follow these rules, and I've never been able to to walk in that. I want that. And so he says that they would evoke jealousy, and not jealousy that we think of little 13-year-old girls, right? Jealousy in the sense of saying, you have something that has been promised to me, and there's still room for me to have it, and I want it. I want it now. Meaning there's a way in which we should live as a community centered around the work of Christ that Jewish people, and I would even say Muslims, because they have a nice understanding of the Old Testament as well. 
and not just people, even just anybody, that we should live in a, such, a, such a way in a community centered around Christ and our belief as well as our conduct that people would say, I want what you have. Let me pause here for a second. Do you think you live like that? Do, do, you, do you think you live like that? Do you think the way that you, you, you handle your resources, your money, your liberty, your freedom, is it usually centered around, are you ever thinking like, oh, what I'm doing today is not only honoring God, it's not only something that I can do for myself, but I'm, that God is using my life in such a way to draw people to himself. And even more particularly to the text that we have this morning is people who have always been his people, who have turned their back on him, that God is using the grace in my life to extend grace to them. Do we live like that, right? We ask ourselves that question. And Paul says that, because that, that's, he goes, that's why I want my ma- ministry to be magnified. I want them to see that. And then what Paul does, and in, in speaking more of this plan, this plan of us being part of Abraham's family, of Father Abraham, he gives us two pictures here. Um, if you read with me again in verse 16, he says this. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so what he's talking about here is this dough and this root. He goes, the first fruits was usually the first that you would give to God. And then you would trust that the rest was the follow. He goes, if the first part is good, you could trust the rest is going to be good. And the root that he's talking about here, guys, is not Jesus. We usually go, we think Jesus is the answer for everything. Jesus, right? What's one pl- Jesus, right? No, all right? <laughs> he is the answer, but not to everything, right? The root here are the patriarchs. The patriarchs, and you know, what are the patriarchs? The patriarchs are Father Abraham and his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. Those are the big three. Whenever you read through the Old Testament, you hear that, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, they, they, they hit themselves on that. And he's saying God began to choose Abraham, right? He chooses Abraham not because of Abraham. In fact, if you go read the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're not guys you're like, I want my sons to be just like that, right? No, they're not, they don't live exemplary lives. But they do live lives of grace and of faith. And what Paul is saying is this thing got established by grace and people who trusted in God, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, and just like Jacob. And it's good. You now, anybody who is in in Christ, anyone who trusts by God's grace and faith, you now are brought into that. If that's good, then you're going to be good. And, and, and just so that you know how this thing was enacted, this covenant, and you've heard me say this before, when it came to Abraham, and Abraham was like, I don't have a kid, how is this going to happen? Here's what God did. God said, hey, do me a favor, which was custom in their culture. Take a bunch of animals, and when he got all these animals, he goes, now rip them apart, which is, which is custom at that time when someone was doing a covenant. And what would happen is they would take these animals, and they would split them in half, right? And then the two parties in this covenant will walk down together in the middle of it, signifying if I don't keep my end to this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And you go back and you read Genesis 15, 16, and primarily 17, what you see is Abraham ripped over the animals, as God had said, and then God put him asleep. And it says a pillar of fire, assembling God, went through alone, communicating, it is not going to be up to you. I'm putting it all on me. And if I don't come through with my promise, May what happened to these animals happen to me. God said, I'm never going to turn my back on my people. I'm not going to turn back on my covenantal people. And that is not just ethnic Israel, but that's anybody like Abraham who would believe in grace. Anybody like Isaac who would trust in grace. Anyone like Jacob 
who would trust in grace and every other name in the Bible who trust in grace. Anybody, Jew or Gentile, who would trust in grace. And when that happens, he says, um, that is what I'm going to do through my covenant. And Paul is saying, you, my friend, you're a part of that. And that's the story you're a part of. And, and if, if you ever got arrogant, you're missing it. Grace should never promote arrogance. Grace by its very nature is that God had to do something for you that you could not do for yourself. So the only way that you could believe in the way that you believe and live in a life um, that flows from that is by God's grace. Therefore, we could never look down our nose towards people who believe anything different than us, the people who struggle and stumble in ways of sin that we don't struggle in, Because the only reason why we don't is not because we thought better or we were smarter, we were more intellectual because of the family we grew up in. Because if this is true, it's because of God's grace. Amen? The the most humble people because God's grace. Well, Paul goes, I know this is not the case. And so then he begins to talk to Gentiles in particular. He said, let me tell you about yourself. And he says this in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, And now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note, then, the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in kindness. Here's what he's saying. He goes, don't be arrogant. He goes, you see, there's this tree. And the natural branches, they were broken off. And you were grafted in. You go, yeah, I was, I was grafted in. That was great. And he goes, yes, um, but realize that you were only grafted in by grace. And they were broken off because of unbelief, because of arrogance, meaning they thought that they can have a relationship with God apart from grace. If your arrogance, if you think in your arrogance that's why you're in, guess what? You too could be broken off. And that's a warning. Paul's not saying you can lose your salvation. You were in and you're out. No, he's saying if you continue in unbelief and arrogance and in pride, you prove that you were never fully grafted in. And there are plenty of people who go through the religious motions of Christianity that never have truly followed Jesus. And the continued sin, not just you fail and you repent, the continued sin and the unrepentance shows that you were never in. And Paul's saying, don't be like that. Understand, you are a part of the root. And the root was something God started through Abraham, of which you are a part of this long unfolding story of grace. It didn't just start in the New Testament. You are part of God's plan of redemption by grace. And you go, how do I remain there? And he says, Here, here's two things about God you should meditate on. He goes, meditate on his kindness and, and, and meditate ultimately on his judgment, the severity of God. He goes, kindness towards you. That is his mercy. That is his grace. You have to wake up in the morning and you have to ask yourself, how did I get here? If you were a Christian in this room, how did I get here? You look at the rearview mirror of your life your, your religiosity and how you tried to basically be perfect and that didn't work, or, or you look at all of the decisions you've made and that didn't work, how you've handled people, how you are handling people sometimes, and you go, how do I stand before God as righteous? Okay, you have to come to this conclusion. It's because of his grace and his kindness, and you meditate on that and let that melt your heart. And he says also his judgment, meaning those for unbelief. 
understanding that, that God does judge, and he's the rightful one to do judge. Now, what you see in Scripture, he's, more, he's far more uh, gracious, he's far more desirous and affectionate to show more forth his kindness. He's constantly saying, I'll give you another chance, I'll give you another chance. You see, the story of Israel is constantly of God, I'll give you another chance. Well, it bothers me when I hear pastors go, oh, Christianity is the God of second chances. No, it's not. Infinite chances. Infinite chances. We've all had a second chance and screwed it up again. We don't need more chances, and so God gives us Jesus. He gives us Jesus as his answer to our problem. And so when you begin to meditate on those two things of where you could be apart from God's interaction and where you are because of him, you remain grafted in because you continue in faith. What Paul is saying is faith is not some past act that you had somewhere at some camp. Faith is not some season in your life that you have that you don't continue. And he says, no, faith will always prove itself to be genuine, that you are a part of this story, not by your ups and downs, because you're going to have moments of ups and downs, but by your continuing repentance and getting up, not trusting in your own self, but trusting in the grace of God. The same thing that saved you is the same thing that sustains you and the same thing that will fully transform and complete you. Amen? Paul says, don't, don't, don't be arrogant about that. Don't be arrogant at all. And then he kind of wraps up this sec- section here in verse 24. He says, for if you were cut off, it says, for if you were cut off fr- from what is by nature the wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And Paul's point is going, there's going to come a day when those who have rejected God, those who have, been, have a partial hardening, those ethnic Jewish people, he said there's going to come a day when a full number is going to come in when all of Israel will be saved. And when he says all, he's not talking every single person. He's saying a a, a numerous amount of Israel, of ethnic Jewish people, will begin. And Paul is saying that is happening now. At this present time, God has a remnant. And then he closed this whole section with this beautiful teaching here, beginning in verse 5. And he says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles have come in, meaning people like you and I who are believing and believing and believing. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them, and I will take, I will take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, and he, that he may have mercy on all. Um, here's what Paul is saying here. Paul is going, there's a mystery that's going to happen. I can't fully explain it. And then next week when we come back, he's going to go, oh, to the glory and praise of God, you do what you do, amen, right? Um, he's saying there's this mystery that's going to happen that in the same way that you were disobedient and you were brought in by grace, that in their disobedience in response to your obedience, that a full number of Israel will be brought in. And then, and then what you see here, um, when he quotes here from the Old Testament, he says, the deliverer from Zion will come and he will banish the ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. He's not saying that there's this other separate plan for Israel. He goes, the same way that you were saved is the same way that they're going to be saved. And that is by faith in who God is and his grace. 
and he says he has consigned all to disobedience. What that means, that word consigned, he says all to disobedience, it means to be in prison. That every single person, as Paul talked about in Romans chapter 3, we are enslaved to our own sin, that we do not have the key, no one can put up their house for bail for us, we cannot get out unless the one with the keys come and serves our time. And he says, Christ has come. He has come, and there will be a day. And will many Jewish people just like many of us trust, will trust in him, and they will receive the mercy of God, that God's mercy will be upon them. And that is good news. It's something we should look forward to. It's something that we as Gentile believers should pray towards to. And we should also realize this unfolding story of God and his grace that we were wrapped into. The story of Israel. Listen, God doesn't have a, a separate plan for the church in Israel. God has not taken the church to replace Israel. What he's doing is what Paul says in Ephesians, he's taking two men, Jew and Gentile, and he's bringing them together as the people of God and something that he knew that he was going to do from the very beginning. You go back to Genesis and you hear what God said, I'm looking to bless the nations, not by works, but by grace. Amen? God does not turn his back on his people. Now, I want to be able to close with this. Um, Neil Pitchell, who is... Um, a pastor at Redemption Gilbert and an ethnic Jewish person who may not be a better person to talk to about this particular text. And so what we had him do was preach this text last week early and then share his testimony so that we can share with all of our congregations to give a glimpse of what Paul is saying, what it looks like when we begin as Gentiles to live fully into the gospel, how winsome it becomes to those ethnic Jewish people who God is saving. So would you guys direct your eyes to the, to the screen? Paul tells us that the reason that the Gentiles were to make the Jews jealous is maybe, just maybe, if they're jealous of what the Gentiles have, that they would turn back to God and receive the grace that he offers independent of the law. That means that we as Christians should be such light. We should have such life, such joy, such love for God and for others that whenever we come in contact with a Jew... They'd say, how come we don't have what they have? How come they have joy in their hearts and love despite their circumstances? And we have to admit, the church has a pretty shameful history in making the Jews jealous. But that was Paul's intent. That was Paul telling us that God's intention was for the Gentiles to be such light that when Jews come in contact with them, they would be jealous of what they had. That's what happened to me. I was a Jewish kid growing up north of Boston, forced to go to Hebrew school from fourth grade through seventh grade, five days a week, then bar mitzvah lessons, then I was bar mitzvahed at the age of 13. The day after my bar mitzvah, I vowed to never set foot in a temple again. I felt, I felt so burdened by the law, by the rules and the regulations and, and the commandments and the, and the festivals and everything that was required of me. I said, no, thank you. I don't want it. Leave me out. And I stayed out of it for years until I was a freshman at college at the University of Massachusetts. I was sitting in my dorm room one night, and uh, these two guys walked into my room. 
Never seen them before. They were big guys, so I obviously paid attention to them. And they asked me if I believed in God. I said, mm, yeah, uh, I do. They said, do you believe you could have a personal relationship with God? And I said, no. That's not possible. All those rules, all those regulations. In fact, I can't even be in the presence of God without my head covered. I have to wear a yarmulke because God's so holy and I'm so messed up, we can't have a relationship. In fact, I can't even write the word God. I have to write G space D. You can't have a personal relationship with God. I said, we'd like to tell you how you can. And I didn't feel like studying anymore, so I said, okay. Well, right at that moment, my roommate walked in. Uh, from Connecticut. He was from Connecticut, great guy. Uh, probably considered himself a nominal Christian. He didn't feel like studying either, so uh, he sat down and listened. And the guys pulled out this little orange pamphlet, and they started going through this thing called the Four Spiritual Laws. Went right over my head. I didn't get a thing that they were saying. Didn't make any sense to me. My roommate did. My roommate got saved that night. I didn't know what was happening. It scared me. Um, so I did the only thing that made sense. I moved out. <laughs> I moved in with uh, another friend. Uh, halfway through the semester that I was living with him, he got saved. Same guys. So I did the only thing that really made sense. I moved into a fraternity. Uh, and I knew I'd be, be safe there. And, and in fact, I was pretty much. But, but here's what happened. These guys, these two guys that walked into my room, my two ex-roommates and, and their friends, were the kindest, most forgiving, most joyful people I'd ever met in my life. I was unreliable. They'd invite me to come to something. I'd say, sure, I'll be there. I wouldn't show. They forgave me. They invited me again. They, they were so different. They, they were so full of life and joy that eventually I said, okay, let me see this New Testament of yours. And I said, okay, start with the, with the book of John. So I, I did, and that created a, a problem for me because it was really good. Um, and these guys continued to be involved in my life. Um, I continued to read the New Testament, but I was so troubled, so, so overwhelmed by my family that, that didn't believe that all of the Jews throughout history, how, how can this be true? So I got to a place, because I was so impressed with those guys, and I was so impressed with what, what was said here, I got to a place that um, I believed I was going to have a big four. See, Jews have a big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I decided I'll have a big four, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus. I'll have it both ways. This will be fine. Well, all that did was lead to further frustration. There was, there was something nagging inside of me that, that this wasn't right. This went on for years. Graduated from college, and someone gave me the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And in the book, Lewis says, I want to talk to those of you who believe that Jesus is a great prophet, a great man. I thought, ooh, that's me. And he said, I think you have a problem. You have a problem because Jesus said he is God. And I knew that because I read that. And he said, if anyone says they're God, you only have three choices. He is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, who he says he is. <clears throat> now, I had seen the difference that God had made in the lives of these men. 
they were like nothing I had ever seen before. There was no way that these men who had committed their lives to Jesus committed their lives to a lunatic or to a liar. And I didn't understand it completely. I didn't know why Jews throughout history didn't believe. But because of the grace of God and because of the lives of these men, I prayed that God would open my eyes to see the truth of who he is. And because of God's grace and because of those men, I'm standing right here in front of you, a Jewish kid from Peabody, Massachusetts, preaching the gospel. No, God hasn't given up on the Jews. I, I've heard that story from Neil plenty of times, and I never get sick of hearing it again and again and again. Um, for someone to have that much knowledge and history that we should have of the Old Testament, to never be able to see Jesus, and then for God to, in his grace, remove that veil to see him. And what he highlighted that I'd love for us as we close uh, this morning is, it was God's grace— and it's also through these people. Paul's, Paul's so what to this for most of us in this room who are believers in Christ Jesus is, one, remember the story that you're a part of. You're a part of Abraham's family, not because he marched, but because of Jesus. And because you're a part of this story, that it's on us to respond to that and live in such a way that Jewish people and anybody that doesn't know God would begin to know God because of the way we love each other and because of the way that we love God. Amen? Would you guys bow your heads and we'll pray and then move into a time of response?